Credit card debt has squeezed the fun out of your life. Are you ready to file bankruptcy? Wait. Make one more phone call first to Credit Partnership. Our licensed attorneys offer a unique debt relief solution called debt reduction. You can get out of debt in two to three years or less. Credit counseling and consolidation loans are no solution. They only rearrange your debt, which may lower your interest rate slightly. You'll still wind up paying the entire balance over time. Lots and lots of time. Only debt reduction with Credit Partnership shrinks the principal balance of your debts, not just interest. Your monthly payments will be lower, too, so you get immediate relief. Debt reduction has already helped tens of thousands eliminate their debt. And unlike bankruptcy, debt reduction with credit partnership does not become public record. Remember, bankruptcy devastates your credit for 7 to 10 years. Call Credit Partnership instead. 1-800-DEBT-SAVER. Toll-free 1-800-DEBT-SAVER. Or visit us online at creditpartnership.com. Get relief from your debt now with Credit Partnership. Call 1-800-332-8728. 1-800-DEBT-SAVER. Hey, got a marketing department? Outsource it. Electronic Theater, a full-service multimedia ad agency, will animate your business. Still stuck with paper? Go digital. Engage your prospective clients with dynamic media, including voice, animation, video, music, and even virtual tours. Your interactive presentation illustrates who you are and what you do. Whether it's projected onto screens, handed out on CD with auto web link, or streaming from your website, Multimedia will grab your client's attention and keep it there. Electronic Theater makes it simple. We are knowledgeable, experienced, friendly professionals, and surprisingly affordable. So get your message out to the world. Electronic Theater, spotlighting your business. Check out our services and low CD replication pricing at electronictheater.com or call us at 760-436-8449. Listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Interested in advertising on any of our shows? Please click the advertise link on the homepage or send an email to ads at worldtalkradio.com. Or you can click on the sponsor this show link on any of the show pages. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking to you from my office on the third floor of the uh, strikingly beautiful Brewster Building in Greenville, North Carolina, on the campus of East Carolina University. But legally disclaiming, as always, my words are not those of the university, and uh, I 
do not wish to be sued by the university for anything that is said on this show uh, by me or guests or anybody. So today, uh, I'd like to start just by thanking uh, those of you who listen each week and who uh, click on the archived uh, segments and see what's happened in the past. For the first time in the year-long history of the program, I've got a chance to see some statistics as to how many people actually listen. And in the past month of November 2005, there were some 5,000 visits to the various archived uh, segments, uh, a respectable number, and I appreciate those who listen. And uh, the emails suggesting guests or questions that might be asked, uh, those are always welcome, as are donations. You can check the front page of the website for that. The fact that 5,000 people uh, check the, the segments out each month is gratifying and also interesting in a statistical sense. We talked in the show sometime back about the Amazon book rankings for various books. I uh, have not been shy about checking out how uh, my own Civil War writings have done there and have discovered by uh, your contribution, your, your uh, ex- willingness to experiment scientifically, that by buying a single copy of All for the Regiment, my book can go from 759,000 on the Amazon rankings to about 300,000 in one week. If we were truly scientifically inclined uh, as a corporate body, uh, you, the listeners, and I might arrange to buy thousands of copies and see how far up it would go, but modesty forbids me from asking you to do that. Another statistical point uh, regarding the show, the interview with Gary Gallagher in October 2005 was the most listened to in the month that followed, which makes sense of being recent. Uh, but it was, a, I thought, a very interesting talk from which I learned a lot, and I recommend if you're looking for a particular show to go back to, uh, I thought his talk was quite interesting. The single most listened to segment, though, of the three segments of each show over the past year, at least in the month of November 2005, was John Y. Simon talking about the Rubber Lincolns in Springfield, segment three of the John Y. Simon interview in late 2004. Uh, As I recall that, I haven't listened to it lately, I believe I asked John one question, and then that was it for the next 17 minutes. Uh, He was able to go uh, without any further prompting from me, giving his considered views on the state of the Lincoln Museum in Springfield, Illinois, and its use of life-size figures. Uh, I'll say no more about that, but if you are looking for entertainment as well as enlightenment, you may want to go back and check John Y. Simon's uh, third segment. Moving ahead today, we'll talk more about Lincoln and Lincoln Museums, in particular uh, with our guest Carolyn Texley, who is the Director of Collections at the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana, not the one in Illinois. Carolyn, are you here this morning? Yes, I am. Hi, Jerry. How are you doing? Oh, very well, thank you. That's good. This interview promises to be more artificial than any other that I've ever done on this show. Because <laughs> normally I know the people I'm talking to, but uh-huh. you and I, of course, uh, worked in adjacent offices at the Lincoln Museum for uh, the better part of a decade. Uh-huh. So any question I ask you is likely to be one to which I may already know the answer. <laughs> and any yeah. story you tell may be one you've already told me. But oh, okay. we'll just pretend <laughs> that we're meeting for the first time uh-huh. and discussing these events. Uh-huh. Um, so you're the director of collections at the Lincoln Museum. Uh, I started with the introduction explaining that 
Lincoln visited Fort Wayne once, and yet there's this fabulous museum there. So let's let's start with the history of the museum. Why is there a Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana? Well, it's here because of the Lincoln Life Insurance Company, uh, which in 1905 uh, founded itself uh, based in here, uh, based here in Fort Wayne. And uh, all of the directors were big Lincoln fans. Uh, the um, the two main ones being Arthur Hall and Franklin Mead and Samuel Foster, I think, also had a Lincoln collection. And there was also, uh, well, something I've not really investigated, but there were some um, shady dealings amongst um, insurance companies. The industry as a whole was kind of not looked on very um, um very well by the general public, and they were trying to improve the image of um, life insurance companies. So using Lincoln's name and the fact that they were all Lincoln collectors, so it was a natural, um, <clears throat> kind of a natural event to name the, um, their new life insurance company after Lincoln. And so Arthur Hall wrote off a letter as secretary. He wrote off a letter to Robert Lincoln, uh, uh, Lincoln's eldest son, and asked him for permission to use an image of Lincoln on their letterhead. And Robert responded um, and said that he thought that that would be a great idea, that his father wouldn't mind. Um, actually, I, ca I can't remember the exact quote. Uh, but Robert approved and sent his favorite photograph of his father, which I think everyone would recognize. It was a cabinet card, a large um, kind of the a um, little bit smaller, about a four by six size photograph. He's included in the envelope, which we still have in the collection, uh, which is a photograph of his father uh, taken in 1860, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, 1864, uh, the, uh, or 1863, the um, uh, $5 bill photograph, the photograph that was later used for that engraving that we all remember on the on the better of the $5 bills. The I old think. $5 bill, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My personal favorite. And so that explains why it was uh, founded in Fort Wayne after that founding of the life insurance company. The museum came along in 1928 when the same, um, the same board of directors, it had stayed pretty stable actually from 1905 to 1928. Directors didn't leave as often as they, uh, as they do today. People actually stayed in companies for decades. And um, uh, these, this same group decided that they'd been in business long enough, uh, they were stable enough, they thought it was time to pay back uh, the Lincoln legacy for using his name. So they founded the Lincoln Historical Research Foundation, which they uh, envisioned uh, providing uh, uh, accurate information about Lincoln. I think that there had been a lot of, they all recognized that there was a lot of myth and um, kind of scary Lincoln stories floating around that, and they thought that what was needed was an accurate, um, uh, uh, it was a reliable source for Lincoln information, for accurate Lincoln information. For Lincoln so, Clearinghouse. Exactly. Okay. And um, and I think they achieved that. So in 28, they uh, had hired uh, Lewis Warren, who uh, Arthur Hall had met in Indianapolis. They were working on the Lincoln Memorial Highway organization. They were trying to commemorate and mark the highway that um, the link that Lincoln had taken from his birthplace in Kentucky, and they moved when he moved to Indiana, Southern Indiana, uh, in 1816 as a boy of seven, and then on to Illinois. Uh, the family moved on in 1830. So they were going to commemorate this highway, and that's where Arthur Hall had heard Warren speak and was very impressed, uh, I think probably with his speaking ability, because Warren was certainly a prolific uh, speaker and writer and just an amazing, um, amazingly hard worker. <laughs> you may remember from the, the weekly Lincoln lore, which 
still impresses me, putting out a Lincoln Lore every week for more than 20 years. It's pretty amazing. So this was the publication. Originally, I think it was a one-page right. sheet each week that, that Lewis Warren wrote with some sort of information on Abraham Lincoln. Warren was uh, he was not a historian um, by training. Uh, he was a minister, as I recall. Uh, yes, he was both a minister and a journalist, which I think both things together, I think, worked pretty well as a skill set for him. And he was just a huge, um, uh, I think, amateur in the best sense, that he was very devoted to Lincoln's legacy. He'd grown up in Hardin County, Kentucky, where Lincoln was born. Actually, our first two directors were born and raised, I think, for at least most, if not all, of their childhood in Hardin County, Kentucky, and uh, near Hodgenville, I think. And uh, um, uh, Warren was just a devoted Lincoln researcher and also very, um, very determined to prove or disprove um, uh, Lincoln's mother's uh, legitimacy. That was a big concern for him. He was writing about Lincoln's ancestry and researching Nancy Hanks, which is a very involved, if there are any... Um, uh, if you know anything about researching genealogy, it's it's a very daunting task to research uh, the Nancy Hanks lineage. I've been looking into that, and it's just lots and lots of people had the same name. And the work that he went to to research Nancy Hanks is just incredibly impressive. It's really confusing if you've ever tried to read um, um, the research he was doing and how many names Nancy Hanks he found. I think he found some in North Carolina, some in Virginia, some in Pennsylvania. Um, so it was a huge undertaking, and that was his passion. Was an, an one of his main passions was to um, research Lincoln's ancestry. And well, let, uh, let me stay on that for a second. He uh, so Warren believed that Nancy Hanks, the mother of Abraham Lincoln, was born to married parents, was legitimate, as as people used to say. Yeah, correct. And uh, many others, uh, I think William Barton and, and Actually, pretty much everybody else in the field thought otherwise. Yeah, I think his only ally was Ida Tarbell. I think uh, I'm not sure at what point, and I'm I've not been sure whether or not he drew that target on the barn and then went for it, or if I'm not sure if he went into it with that conclusion or not. I know he was interested in it, and I'm not um, I've not ever been real clear on exactly when um, he uh, he was convinced or if he started out being convinced, oh, because it's Lincoln, his mother must have been legitimate. I I tend to think not. I think I, I think Warren did behave um, very professional as a professional historian in that sense. I think he really did go into it with an open mind and because um, uh, he was going to primary sources, uh, wills, um, uh, uh, he went through pretty much every courthouse in Kentucky and Virginia, at least, in a whole bunch of counties in Pennsylvania. So I tend to think that he more um, uh, convinced himself through actual research rather than just trying to prove a point of view, which I think was a lot of the standard of Lincoln, um, um, the Lincoln collectors at the time, not the professional historians, but the uh, collectors would just kind of glom onto a, a point of view and then just run with it. So that was a lot of the discussion, and I think it led to the um, uh, founding of the museum in some ways, because I think that all of that was just kind of floating around these different camps with different opinions that were not based on um, primary source research or um, independent um, objective research. It was more a matter of opinion. So Warren began looking at these documents, and in some cases collecting them, 
mm-hmm. and eventually material accumulates in Fort Wayne. The uh, the question of, of Nancy Hanks's legitimacy, I, I find an interesting one, not so much for the actual outcome, which today, I, I, from what I understand, the, the the bulk of scholarship today would suggest Barton was right and that Warren was was not. Uh, Paul Verdine is probably the leading. Mm-hmm. researcher in the Hanks genealogy field today, uh, yeah. if, uh-huh. if one wants to pursue that. But uh, what fascinates me about the question is the amount of effort that Barton and Warren and these other people in the 1920s spent on the matter. Uh-huh. Uh, because today, it would, if somebody were to definitively prove that uh, you know, Barbara Bush was born out of wedlock, it uh-huh. would make you know, uh-huh. maybe the front page for half a day and be forgotten. But to these guys, it was a huge deal. Yeah, and I think um, uh, Lincoln's um, scholarship, just the study of Lincoln, is fascinating from sociological perspectives as well as just the man himself. He tends to lead to all of these really fascinating kinds of social history, how the American public reacts to um, to Lincoln in particular information new information about Lincoln but yeah it's it's just a not a total non issue now and it was a big dramatic uh, discussion at the time so it's um, I think Lincoln's scholarship, the study of Lincoln, and even exhibiting Lincoln. We do that in our exhibits here, is um, how people are using Lincoln in context and, uh, you know, even his ancestry and how it reflects the time. I think the, the, um, the, the material that William Herndon collected after Lincoln was assassinated was published by uh, Wilson and, and Davis a few years ago, five or six mm-hmm. years ago now, uh-huh. and I had the opportunity to go through it not too long ago, and it was interesting to see there from from the people who <clears throat> who William Herndon interviewed in, in the 1860s and 70s that the evidence there tended to toward Nancy Hanks's illegitimacy. There was also some question about Lincoln's legitimacy in some of these interviews, which uh-huh. doesn't seem very persuasive. Uh, although Lincoln himself did think his mother was born out of wedlock, according to William mm-hmm. Herndon, his, his former law partner. Mm-hmm. But how far we can believe Herndon, I guess, is another question, too. Uh, yeah. let, me, let me move on ask you a question about uh, your own background. How, how long have you been with the museum, and what were you doing before that? Um, I've been at the museum since... Um, uh, well, I accepted the job in January of 94, actually arrived uh, early February of 94. Uh, and before that, I was the archivist at Cranbrook Educational Community in Bloomfield Hills, uh, Michigan. Uh, so I was working, um, and I'd been an ar- I've been an archivist since uh, 1980. And in 19, late 1993, I got a call uh, asking if I would consider the position of um, uh, director of collections at the Lincoln Museum because they were going to build a new museum, and I thought, wow, that sounds that sounds really interesting. <laughs> so I came down to Fort Wayne, and uh, that was um, that was how I got to be connected here. Um, and uh, so up then, I had um, um, I had I had done a bachelor's degree in history and a master's in uh, library science with a concentration in um, um, archives administration. And again, I've been working as an archivist since 1980. And in contrast to Lewis Warren and the, the subsequent directors like uh, uh, Gerald McMurtry and then later Mark Neely, they were 
either gifted amateurs like Warren or professional historians like Neely, but none of them had any training in archives as far as I understand. Uh, no, that's true, that there was no professional museum management. And uh, no, they, uh, as far as I know, they, they didn't, although one of the um, assistants, Ruth Cook, had gone off to, um, to be trained um, at um, an archives institute um, when she came in the uh, late 1970s. So there was, and they had a part-time librarian for a brief time. Um, but yeah, other than that, there was not the um, sort of organizational, professional aspect to the, um, to the museum. Well, we'll take a short break now and come back in a moment, talk about the museum itself, uh, what's in the museum, and other questions that can best be answered by the Director of Collections at Four Wayne's Lincoln Museum, Carolyn Texley, who is our guest today. We'll come back and do that in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you. 